in medicine, I think we can create a career that you can have kids and have a life. Hi, thanks for joining us for the Doc Working Whole Physician Podcast. I'm Jen Barna, and I'm here with Coach Gabriella Denry, MD, and today our guest is Dr. Miriam Michael. To give you a little history, Gabriella and Miriam met in medical school, and Miriam is a practicing nephrologist and hospitalist who is not just successfully managing her career and her life outside of medicine. She has been knocking it out of the park since about the age of 10 when she made her first plan to become a doctor. I'm sure you'll enjoy her stories of medical school, having four kids during residency, and how she manages work-life balance with a career she loves. She has tons of tips and life hacks to make our busy lives more efficient. Thanks for joining me and Coach Gabriella with her med school classmate, Dr. Miriam Michael. So I'm proud and amazed to introduce Dr. Miriam Michaels, who is a hospitalist, an internist, a hospitalist, and also an entrepreneur, a mother of four who are now uh, thriving adult, young adult uh, uh, children. And you've done it all and you continue to do it all. So let's get started. Tell us a little bit about when you decided to go to medical school, when you had your kids and, you know, just kind of tell us the story. Oh, so I, I don't know if it was like that for you, Gabriella, for, for you also, I kind of was born wanting to be a doctor. That was like, I didn't have a, that wasn't any other career choice that I wanted. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and everything I did prepared me. So I was a cocktail waitress, which prepared me to be a doctor. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. I love that. I, I, love I get that. that. <laughs> I worked in a library, which per, you know prepared me to be, a <laughs> I played rugby, which prepared me to be a doctor, you know, all that stuff. So everything to me was, preparation towards going there. Mm-hmm. And we grew up in a time where the concept of not having kids wasn't, I don't think, there. Uh, now, I love my children. I like them as people. But I don't think I would have had kids if I was born a little later. So I decided that, you know, I had made a plan at the age of like, I think 10, I revised it at 15. I was going to get married <laughs> at 25 <laughs> and have a kid at 26. So it made it really easy because I dated inappropriately until I had medical school because I wasn't going to marry any of those and have my kids with them. So I dated like the, I mean, just what I wanted because I wasn't going to, this wasn't who I was going to marry. So I have bad taste. (laughs) So then when we were in medical school, I don't know if you noticed this, Gabrielle, but I made a chart because I'm a scientist. You know, I I like came into class and I was like, obviously I'm going to marry one of these guys, you know, and I had things like, like non-negotiables because, because I know my taste is terrible. Like to me, the sexiest man on earth is Mike Tyson, like everything about him. (laughs) So so obviously I can't pick. So so non-negotiables, like no... Uh, sister on crack because I wasn't going to raise other people's children, you know, just mm. being like, no, and I, not that men with children are bad, but like, I, I, I barely want to have my own kids. I'm not, so I didn't want anybody with kids, <laughs> like anyone who had any baby mamas, like none. So, right. so I had this chart. So if you ask me about any guy in our class, I can mm. tell you their mother, their father, like, like what, what everybody. Really? So I, wow. I slowly, over the course of the two years, well, you know, when we were stuck in that room in the basement, Oh, yeah. What was interesting about our class, too, we were probably the first class in the nation at that point to have 50 percent women we in the class. Mm-hmm. We did. We wow. were the, we were the first. I think mine was 30. 
yeah. percent women. Yeah. And so yeah. that was back, what, 19, we went to school, what, 88 to 92? 88. I had a lot to choose from. You sure did. <laughs> it wasn't 60%, it was 50%. <laughs> so I, I actually did have two strong candidates. I married one. Uh, <laughs> then I, uh, you know, got pregnant in internship. Mm. And I proceeded to have all my four kids, I think, by the time I finished residency. Um, I have to tell you, it was, I, I went to Sinai after I've been in Maryland. I, I was at Maryland, which was amazing, amazing internship. And I went there because I wanted a certain type of internship. I wanted something that was slightly malignant because I function better in, you know, that kind of space. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, good for you. That helps. If that's part of your personality, that helps. Absolutely. Yeah. But it wasn't going to work. I knew because I wasn't learning enough. Like I was great. I could put a line into anything, mm. but I, but I wasn't just learning. So then I transferred to Sinai and, and my husband was in New York at that time. So, and being one of the few black girls at Sinai, nobody got pregnant at that time. I'm sure you remember. And uh, I was pretty much one of the only black people in the residency program. And I was continuously pregnant. That was just such a ridiculous cliche. <laughs> I was lucky. I had great pregnancies and, um, they were very clear to me that there was no maternity leave. So I, uh, the chairman of medicine took me to his office. He was very clear about that. It was two weeks of vacation. I had to trade my way into my proposed <laughs> time of delivery. Time of delivery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I did. I had great residents. They traded with me until I got to that. And then the freaking child wouldn't come. Ah. So <laughs> Three days into my, my, my maternity leave, I was like, ah. Like it's not on my chart. Let's get right. so, I mean, I had C-sections. Then okay. I was back at work in 10 days. So that was, wow. no, no, it's not as, because what's, what's the hard part of having babies? It's actually being there and taking care of them. This way I like, but didn't have to do that. It was, it was lucky because Maryland was amazing for an intern. Like I learned the skills that you needed, hard work, putting in lines, not being afraid of things, but it just wasn't any time to, to read or have any academics. Mm -hmm. So it, it worked out perfectly. Uh, the one thing that was really nice about Maryland, I have to give props is, and she's still there, Susan Wolfstall. That was her first year as the residency coordinator. When I got pregnant, she took me to her office and she said, she knows that there's no you know, maternity leave. She's going to create one for me. And if I get sick, come to her, she'll make sure. Then all the residents individually came to me when I was at Maryland and told me that if I needed any help, they were going to, it was so hard to leave that program because that is, I mean, it was incredible from the program director to every single resident doing that was just fantastic. I, I, I mean, now I'm back at Maryland and part of the reason was just that love that I felt at that time was amazing. Mm -hmm. that is so having amazing. that kind of support and people just yeah. coming forward and, and then to leave I was like what's wrong with me <laughs> yeah. so how was my Sinai or Sinai compared to very academic. very academic you mean extremely academic and but you know it was a different uh, <laughs> at my third year after getting pregnant again he called me up and said like what is wrong with you like what are you doing <laughs> he said you're infecting us there's other people that's pregnant now. 
Oh, that's funny. I, I swear to God, sir, like if you saw my husband, you'd like be pregnant too. He's so <laughs> like he threw me out of his <laughs> office. <laughs> I could imagine. I mean, in my time of residency, I tell you, there was no most of the women, a good part of them were single. And um, there was only one resident, I think, who was pregnant during her residency out of the entire program. And so I I yeah, I hope it's different now. But yeah, you, you probably went through a few things. I was married to a bona fide, a hundred percent foot. You know, I told you like my thing is like mm-hmm. Mike Tyson. So I pick a certain kind of guy. So the, you know, I picked one that was not going to be doing any of the sharing of any kind of stuff. <laughs> no, he was actually mm-hmm. a great parent, great parent, really a great parent. But I had a full-time wife. I um, got a nanny and my relationship with my nanny. And to this day, every single one of my nannies are my relatives. They mm-hmm. are amazing because they raise my kids. They, I don't, I can't even say, I come home, the house is clean. My favorite food is on the table. You know, I truly loved them. And I mean, I was very expressive. I'm, <laughs> so what would you tell someone who is looking at Nan? Because I, I've heard that from other physicians as well, that it's like, look, they'll, they'll do some light cooking and cleaning or whatever for the kids, but not for me. Oh, God, and no. So, <laughs> right. So how did you, no, no, how did you like, that's, not, that's not how my life is going to work. No, no, no. Uh, I'm hiring a wife. I'm hiring an old fashioned third world, you know, wife. I am not planning on cooking my breakfast, making my coffee or doing any of my laundry, like all the cooking. I'm not doing grocery shopping. None of that. Like, yeah, no, I'm going to be like a third world husband. I'm going to show up at like whatever time, <laughs> <laughs> not picking up the towels in the bathroom. Like, no. <laughs> exactly. Stuff is in front of me, right? <laughs> my food is there. My coffee's ready. Um, and now we can negotiate your salary and your like perks, but like the other stuff is not negotiable. <laughs> right. What, like as a red, like just from a practical standpoint, you and your husband were both residents, right? Yeah. At the same time. So, and you were having your kids while you were residents. Like, so it's not like you were already both making your attending or, you know, private practice salary. So how did you find that person <laughs> it was hard or, it was you know, and you have to have a network so or I guess what would the advice be to to people that is my one like I have some magic skills and one my one of my magic skills is a budget I am the queen of budgets uh, <laughs> and we had a budget and uh I remember one day my you know he's lovely guy my ex bought a bike and I like broke down because it broke our budget like you can't buy a used bike (laughs) so it was a I mean and I think now it's much more expensive um we lived in New York City we lived in 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 Sinai housing which was very cheap it's incredible thinking back we lived in a two-bedroom apartment with six like no five people Wow. And uh, we, I don't even know where the kids were. Like, I don't remember where. No, they, did the you know, nanny live with you? Oh, heck yeah. I'm not having a live out nanny. So, I mean, so it was one of the things we did was we talked, we talked to everybody. I talked to every nurse. We talked to everybody. In New York, it was pretty easy because, you know, there was a lot of people who came forward. My position's always a live in. It's never live out. Um, and I always try to do as much perks as I became an attending. The perks included paying for school. Uh, and one of the things I did understand is that at different times, your kids need different kind of nannies. So mm-hmm. when they were smaller and starting to read, I, instead of an older woman, I got a very young uh, nanny, one that I have to tell you, all my kids read at four 
and I never ever read to my children. It was all the nannies. They were amazing. So those nannies are not going to stay long. They're just fantastic. They're going to move on. I always offered full tuition to them and just perks that would make them happy because they're raising your kids. And then I offered health insurance. And for a young person, health insurance is cheap. So usually I would get them Kaiser insurance. And at that time it was like 125 a month. Uh, but it was such a big perk for them having health insurance. Uh, so I paid for community college. I paid for health insurance and different things like that, which were perks that they liked. So we basically sat down up front. And I think that's one of the most important parts to any kind of life hack is you have to set expectations at the get go. I always had a completely, I sat down with a written expectation. It was me and my uh, husband, we did it together or my mother. One of the things that I found whenever I negotiate with anybody is another person in the room, then there's no question about whether there was something misheard. I always write everything down in bullet form so that they're clear about what the expectations of the job is. And then I try to get from them what they want, clearly what they want. Um, that way I meet expectations. I think part of the hardest things is not, not giving a very clear description of the job when you hire a nanny. I would take two days off and go through every single thing with them. Like how, this is the bathroom. This is the thing. This is how I like folded. How do you like folding? Just so we went through, there was no weirdness. So I, like any other job, you need to, what is it? Onboard? Onboard. Yeah. <laughs> Onboard. It's critical. And be clear, set point. expectations, go through yeah. it. Yeah. Because. It, worth the time ahead of time. Yeah. To set those parameters. Yeah. And it was such a key to having a great life that. To me, that was probably the most important when my kids were growing up. Most important part of my life being good was having a really, and for me, I know that, you know, nobody wants to live with you for three years. It's, it's intense. So my expectation was that they were not going to stay more than three years probably. And as long as they were honest with me that they were going to leave, I, you know, my promise was I'm going to be your lifelong, you know, relative. When you run into trouble, I'll be there. I'll, you know, I'll bail you out of prison. I think you bring up an interesting point that, that uh, because mom, my mom was also a physician and it was six of us. I, to this day, I still don't understand how she did it. But one of the ways was having a live-in and she would bring them in. My parents are from Haiti. She would, she would actually bring them in, sponsor them to come in from Haiti. Some of them were better than others. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just the way it goes. And, but she paid for schooling, she paid for, you know, immigration papers. She took care of, you know, whatever your ambitions were in life. You know, I'll support you, uh, but, you know, help me with the house, the kids, the this, the that. And some of them were very good. And so some went on to professional careers uh, as a result of this. One, the last one, and I think that's what she unfortunately got um, uh, a bit of trouble with a boyfriend and so, uh, you know, that didn't quite work out too well. But <laughs> by that time, we were a little older and able to manage on our own. She put us to work. You cook on Monday. You cook on Tuesday. You cook on Wednesday. You cook on mm -hmm. Tuesday. That very clearly gave us all a job for the house. And, and why not? She had six kids. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. at the same time, I think that, that being able to support the people that you bring in, I think, is, is super important, too. I think that's probably the key to not being worried that something bad is going to happen because they have a vested interest in, you know, you succeeding because you're going to help them succeed in life. And I think that's in 
anything, whether it's, you know, your MA at work or anything like that, I think that if you actually participate in making their them successful, they will participate in, in, in you know, aiding in your success. Um, I think that's the magic sauce a lot of time in working with people. In medicine, I think we can create a career that you can have kids and have a life. And I think in law and a lot of the other, the, there aren't those options. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just don't think you right. have flexibility. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you have to, um, you kind of have to prove yourself along the way before you get that negotiating power somewhat, I think. Or maybe you would have it earlier if you just asked for it. I don't know. But I do think people have, do have the ability to negotiate a schedule that's, that's workable as individuals. In medicine, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I think yeah. so. And medicine's really interesting because you know, you can pivot mid-career in medicine and not lose a lot. I think that there's not as much movement in other professions. One is I'm an internist. I mean, even though I'm a nephrologist, I'm an internist also. And internists, we have a lot of pivot, uh, <laughs> but only if you don't do private practice. <laughs> We're going to get to that. Hold that thought. I have one more question for you, Miriam, because you talked about how you negotiated your contract with as a hospitalist, because you work as a hospitalist now, right? Yeah. And what are things that you wanted to make sure you were in that contract for you? And so I'm wondering if you could speak about that. So, I mean, I think one of the things is that you have to negotiate everything up front. I am not a confrontational woman, so, and I'm small. And I think maybe things have changed a little bit for women, but being confrontational in situ gives you the, there's terminology that's used about you. The best time to do that, like setting of expectations is upfront and not trying to kind of get that moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an internist, I think there's so many jobs that if you really can't get it moving forward that, I mean, if you can't get it up front, that you don't, you can always, it, you're not tied down. I think part of it is I live in a city, so there's a lot of different jobs. Um, you And I'm not afraid to leave. Uh, I will be very happy to walk away in, of a, from a situation rather than stay somewhere miserable. Mm-hmm. But one of the things is I was very, very upfront always about my time off, uh, my ability to get time off, my ability to schedule ahead of time. And so a lot of that stuff, I really, really do sit down. I do take, I read every line of a contract every single time. Mm-hmm. And I sit down and make sure that all of those things that I want are clearly, clearly set up front. I don't want anybody later on to think that, and that's why I always believe in having another person in the room. There's never a question of whether this was not something that I wanted up front. So I'm very clear about how much time I want off, when I want it off, um, how much I'm expected to work, uh, what kind of work that I want to do. I've really try to make sure I'm very clear about that upfront because then later on it be, it's less of an issue. I always try to deliver more. Later on, I will give as a gift, uh, <laughs> extra hours, but as a gift. <laughs> that you know it's a gift. And I, everybody understands it's a gift. <laughs> right. 
so that's that's um, that I think that's really important is mm -hmm. that I try to make sure that that is very clearly stated up front. I'm very clear about my 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 salary uh, and my hourly pay, all of that very clearly up front. And I just find that that makes for a better life. And sometimes I'm very clear about the fact that I will negotiate for a certain amount of money that I know is lesser, but the price for that is that I get what I want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So quality of life, like the quality of your life is, is you're looking at yeah, in terms okay. of your negotiations, yeah, not, yeah, just, yeah. not just the money. Not no, just no, no, no. Me, uh, I can get money anywhere. And I, I mean, I think there's a set amount of price. One of the things that's nice about being a nephrologist, we have this thing called the RPA, the Renal Physicians Association. And what the RPA does is it does a survey every three years and you have to pay for the survey, which is worth paying for sometimes. Um, and they tell you how much everything is, like how much within a certain zip code is the nephrologist being paid? How much do they pay for their secretary? How much do they pay for their office? How much do they pay for their biller? So it really gets you, gives you a sense of what everything is going for. Mm -hmm. So that you go in when, into your negotiations knowing exactly what the price for things are. Uh, that was very important when, we, when I ran an office, knowing exactly what was the norm when I was in private practice, a couple of friends of mine, uh, we set up this program that was so mostly for ourselves and it just kind of bloomed. We used to do every three or four months, we used to do on a Sunday afternoon, a women's group, just because I think that women don't know how much things are worth and how to negotiate. We don't play golf and we're busy with our kids. So we used to do it from like three to four, a really fast food and drinks and stuff like that. And kind of tried to do a networking where we talked about certain things like money, negotiating different things, contract negotiations, just because we, we're not always clear about exactly how much office space costs in our city or how much a secretary goes for. Uh, so that to me was always very important. As far as knowing what the going rate is, is that it, it is really useful to talk to recruiters. I think if you're thinking about having making a change or even renegotiating a contract that you already have it's not a bad idea to just you know you get those emails constantly reach right. out to some of those recruiters and just hear what's right. out there right you know and then use it to educate yourself about what the going rate is and and um you know what other places are offering if even if you're planning to stay where you are mm -hmm. it can be useful to just know you know what's what out there so you don't get under bed yeah one of the things that was kind of the best thing that ever happened to me was that I was in a private practice with basically someone who I still very much love, like in love with. We were so perfectly suited and we're still very good friends. But one of the things is that, you know, we started working, we kind of had talked about things and things were kind of, I can see there was resentment mostly because I thought that there was a misunderstanding about what was happening. So I went and asked her because I came into the practice with the plan that I was going to be a partner. And so she said, yes. And I thought, ah, oh, this is not going well. So I said, you know, my expectation was I was going to be partner by next year. And she said, well, maybe we can do it in two years. And I thought, oh, okay, this is not going to work. Mm -hmm. And I said, why don't we do this? Why don't I pay for us to sit down and negotiate what the partnership is going to be like? Cause I had a sense that I didn't want to waste a year working when this may not work out. So 
so we sat down, it was a chunk of change. We sat down and we started negotiating our partnership agreement. And very quickly on, I realized ah, this is not going to work for me. It just wasn't. So, you know, halfway through, I was very clear. And I said, I don't, I like you a lot. I really like you a lot, but this is not going to work. You know that. And she said, yeah. And so we kind of shook hands. We then did a three month slow, you know, move towards me leaving with her being able to get somebody in to kind of take my place. So it worked out. There were still like birthday parties, you know, happy hour. We still very close, but it just would the, the, the fact that we sat down and started that negotiations very early on made it clear that this wasn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that so we don't always do as women. We don't ask. So part of it is I always do, you know, that list thing. I always make a list of what I want because sometimes I don't even know what it is. Yeah. To be clear for yourself before you go into that room, right. Right? before mm-hmm. you go into that negotiation, I think that's important. And yeah. Yes. Yes. For lists. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and also to be thinking ahead of time, you know, if you're, if you're in a partnership or if you're in a partnership track and it's a three-year to partnership or, you know, two-year to partnership, that's, that's a really brilliant idea to negotiate ahead and say, like, I understand, you know, I'm waiting these three years to get approval for, for partnership, but let's like, I would like to lay everything out on the table and know what you know exactly what this partnership entails in advance. I think that's, you know, don't wait for the three years to be up to find out, oh, that's what it is, you know. Right. And that's some cost. To me, that's such right. a, I don't mind money, losing money, because not to be rude, we're doctors, we can always make it back, but lose sunk cost, my time is too valuable. I don't want to lose all that time. There's so many things that I could have been doing in this time, moving to a different direction. Tell us more about these lists of yours. Don't, don't judge me, but I have a list oh, for everything. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have my packing list. I have my work packing list. My, you know, I have like 17 lists. I have a little thing of lists. And you don't, and it took me like four or five days to make each list. There were, you know, that's where I spent a lot of time. And my bag. So I have the weekend bag and the travel through of airport, meaning, you know, Mm. clear stuff at three ounces ounces, (laughs) they're already packed and it has a list so if I run out of one of those I go the next time and just get another and put it back in so if you call me I really actually will be ready in about 10 minutes (laughs) awesome that's awesome that's awesome we need need to we need yeah. to take you up on that. Exactly. But I think that the whole theme for me as I'm listening to you talk is, is that you have, uh, you put in the time up front, like you invest the time up front to set it up the way you like to set it up. And in a way that's, that helps you and it supports you and that helps you live your life. Yeah. And then you put that initial time in and then you get to reap the benefits of that. I think you're, you're, I never even thought of that. I think you're right. Part of it is I wanted to travel all the time whenever I wanted to. And I wanted it to be not painful. And I remember before, even though I love to travel, it would take me so long to pack. And then I would leave something behind. Mm-hmm. This way I'm ready all the time. I don't need to worry. Um, I travel a lot with my children now that they're grown. I never, I was a terrible parent. I never traveled with them when they were kids because that's misery. 
And well, you know, one thing that, yeah, one thing that's interesting about traveling with kids and, and I bet your kids are like this too. My kids are so independent Yeah, because when they were little, even I would just be like, you know, we're going to, we're going to leave on Sunday. I'm working until Saturday night. So pack your suitcase and they would pack, they would put, even from when they were like five years old, they would pack one little suitcase of the things they wanted to bring to play with and one little suitcase of their clothes. And, you know, when they were little, like five, I would throw in a couple of, you know, things that I knew they would need that they would forget. But by the time they were eight or so, they totally could pack for themselves. And we would get, okay, you know, we would get somewhere and then they might need something that they forgot. And we would, you know, try to accommodate that. And that happened to us too. Um, But they were really self-sufficient packers. Mm -hmm. So you know, I think um, that the kids do benefit in some ways from being independent. They, they become they do. very independent. No, yeah. I think they do. And, you know, I did it mostly out of selfishness, the way I raised my kids. And so they really actually commend me. I think I was a pretty awful parent, but they weirdly <laughs> don't see it that way. <laughs> That's good. That's I, good. I, I agree with your kids, Miriam. <laughs> yeah. I do. Because my mother said the same thing all the time. I mean, how are you going to be a full-time physician, raise six children with a wayward husband? And, yeah. uh, you, know, it, it, you know, life was tough. There, and she went back to did her residency, a second residency, because oh, she, wow. I know, can you believe it? She was in pathology initially, and then she said she loved it, but the physicality of the work was yeah. too much. After a while, she wanted to shift gears, and so she went back to do a residency in psychiatry and I remember I was old enough to remember her having her book spread out on the dining room table as she's studying trying to get to her exams and kids are screaming in the background the whole thing I mean it was crazy I don't know how she did that but at the same time it was it was I I as much as she kept bemoaning I can't I don't have enough time for you guys I've been a terrible mother Uh, to me that was not the case as I'm looking out I say wow this is an amazing woman and I can be proud of my mom. You know, I'm just like, yeah. I, I'm sure everybody's proud of their mom, no matter what. But to have that example of, of someone like right at home, I didn't have to look at the TV yeah, or look on. at you, right? Some, somebody who's right at home, who's kind of showing me the way and kind of having to make these tough decisions as to, you know, certain, certain things will fall by the wayside. Uh, and at the same time, she treaded her path. You know, she opened her private practice eventually. She set herself up. Uh, so that she had a little side business as well. She was she had real estate, so she rented apartments, and she also had her own practice in her own home. She she was very careful about her moves and how she did it, and she did it quietly, mind you. And at the same time, just to be able to watch that example unfold in front of me was a very powerful thing. And so I um, I know her opinion of herself was different than what we were able to see. So maybe that's what, that's what I'm bringing up now to all those mothers out there who are practicing medicine and who, who, who may be questioning whether or not they're a good enough parent or they're spending enough time with their kids or that you know, there's certain things they may have missed out on. Your kids are watching. Let me, just, let me just say that. Your kids are watching. And especially if it's a woman and you have daughters, your daughters are watching and they're probably going, my mom is the coolest beans ever and I wouldn't change it for the world so I suspect I agree with your kids there is certain things that I don't feel guilty about any of like 
that and of guilt and things that are put on parents that I refuse to like participate in. One is this whole like <clears throat> thing. I hated it. Like, oh yeah. First of all, my children were never going to be, uh, you know, soccer stars. So I was not going to spend <laughs> a freaking afternoon driving them, and then this ridiculousness of having to stand around and watch them practice. Like, I can't even watch a regular game, let alone like you know, 10 year olds running around. I have groceries to do. I have like paperwork to do. Like I'm not, you know, if they want to go, if they want to play soccer, they can practice on their own. That's up to them. Um, so, <laughs> so when I got divorced, it was at that, that time when they're right in middle school. So I clearly understood I couldn't live in the suburbs. I had four kids who like played all these sports, did all these instruments and I actually wanted a career and there, I was a nephrologist and an internist. There was no way that I could do all of that, move in, you know, make a practice and then go to every soccer game with four kids. It just wasn't gonna work. So we moved to the city right next to a Metro station and to a thing, the nanny and I, and the nanny was very opposed to this, but you know, I just said, we're doing this. So we went, we bought the monthly tickets I went on the bus with all of them. We learned the bus system and the metro, and I told them not to take candy from strangers. And good luck. <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> worked out. So, so I just remember I had this one daughter who played like everything. She played every music instrument, and I would write the checks. I will write the checks for your music lessons, and I would sometimes show up to like concerts and. Can't even express to you. Her name is Gabriella. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, know she that. named oh, her after you. God. Oh my God. I don't know if that's a coincidence. Probably a happy coincidence. Uh -huh. Oh my goodness. She's this musical person. So once I went to a concert, it was like classical. What is those things? Pan? Pan? Uh, what the, the Trinidadians play? Oh, uh, the, the steel pan. Yeah. In classical music, it was like a yeah. classical music with a steel band. I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> it was, I've heard it. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> it was just like, and then one day she showed me. I had this like this this uh, metal. I was like, "Oh, what's this for?" She's like, "Oh, it's the four by four. And I was like, four by four. What?" She's like, four by four. You know, like track." I was like, "Oh, you're on track." She's like, "Yeah, I actually won the citywide." <laughs> Oh Good for you, babe. Very proud of you. <laughs> that reminds me of a, a surgeon I, I used to work with who had five kids. And she told me one time that her, one of her kids had a concert and it was a singing, I guess he was singing in a concert. And so, but she got stuck, you know, at work, there was an ad on surgery at the end of the day. And by the time she finished it, she got to the concert. It was the last song in the concert. So she goes in, her husband hands her a program and she like sinks into the chair, you know, watches the last song and her husband's like, you got this, you know, like you were here. And the, uh, the concert ends and, and she goes up to her son and she says, that was such a great concert. And he goes, which song was your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> he knew his mom. <laughs> Yeah. that's funny oh my goodness they know you so I think you had it right you know I mean you were just like here's the x you set the expectations it's like good for you tell me when it's when it's over tell me how <laughs> but there was I mean but I had kids and I liked 
I, I mean, you know, they're built-in companions, so you get to do what you want to do. So I love museums. I love, so, and I lived in DC. The Smithsonian has no money spared, like, programs for children, which we went to all the time. It was fantastic. And I worked for Kaiser for a short amount of time and they would give you, I loved it. Kaiser would give you CME time where you're supposed to sit down somewhere and like read CME. So I did it Wednesday afternoons. <laughs> so we talked with my kids and said like, what is the one thing we were talking about? Like what we wanted to overcome. Like we wanted to do something big with this Wednesday. It's like, it's Wednesday, it's the summer, what's big? So we were talking about it and we all realized that we were really city people and we were afraid of natural bodies of water. Like we all swam, but we, <laughs> we decided like, and, oh, I was the worst. I was like, ah. So we decided every Wednesday we'd find a natural body of water and whether we got like leeches or, you know, <laughs> oh my or, or whatever, we were just going to jump in. Like just, it didn't matter if it was Ooh. 10 minutes. We found like quarries, like terrible beaches, like all that stuff. But to my kids, it's this huge like thing that they just remember. They used to like bring random kid, other kids with us. We just pile in the car and then come <laughs> <laughs> the absolute oh my goodness that's wonderful just that kind of wonderful. have an adventure every Wednesday afternoon we did and it was actually kind of fun and I actually don't remember them that well but to them it's this like massively big thing and it was so now looking back it's I think that not not having to go to and I we did we get to I remember my daughter being thrown out of a travel team because of it because she just wasn't at, at practices like she was supposed to be. And I just remember that the, the kids actually, we, you know, there were certain things that they could have participated in that they weren't. They lost tennis tournaments and different things like that, but they didn't, I think part of the thing is that we're so focused on these stand, I don't know, what, what are they called? There's there, there are these activities that we put our children in that doesn't allow us to do other things with them as parents and I know yeah, I know what would you call that I don't know what you because it's like you're right I mean there was a story years ago about this woman who was bringing soccer mom who went to soccer practices and she noticed all the parents kind of staring waiting you know everybody's waiting for practice to be over or whatever and then she said well why don't we play a game while the kids play a game right instead of so that started a mom soccer league because that, that way it's like what are we doing just standing here right, right. So I think that's a good point. You're right. Why are you going to just sit there? Mom sent, you know, as she's trying to drag me to violin lessons and just sitting there waiting for it to finish. It's like, okay, how does that make sense? But creating activities as you did with all your kids involved, it's like, let's go, let's go jump in a quarry. Let's go to the museum. Let's go to the Smith only. Let's get the leeches on our body. <laughs> Which I think is phenomenal. And I'm sure it created amazing memories for all of them. It did, but it was really hard to do because there is, there is a social construct, especially if you mm -hmm. live in a neighborhood. And it's hard because I was, I lived in the neighborhood, even though my kids went to public school, it was a public school in a great neighborhood. I mean, it's in DC. So a lot of the women who were moms had started as with real jobs, like, you know, big high powered lawyers who gave that up in order to have kids. And I felt for them. So there was this very aggressive parenting um, that I couldn't participate with. And, you know, we're, 
we're achievers. We get the yeah. we get the cues. Like, <laughs> and then you know how you have to bring like cookies to school, and my cookies were Edmonds, and the moms were like homemade, you know, cookies. And I told you, like, I had to like fake that I made homemade cookies. I was like, I'm not making homemade cookies, but like, I would go and buy the Safeway cookies and put them in the oven and crumble them up a little bit and put them in a bad package and send them over. <laughs> because no matter what, I'm still competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to part one of our conversation with Dr. Miriam Michael, internist, nephrologist, and hospitalist. My name is Gabriella Denry, life coach at DocWorking.com. Join us for part two on March 5th, when Dr. Michael shares more eye-opening insights on achieving work-life balance in medicine. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Heron. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Our Instagram is docworking1, and that is with the number one. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story to tell, please reach out to Jen at jen at docworking.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.